Morning, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you. I've been gone for five weeks. And I forgot how to do this, you know. But uh, welcome to all of you here at Lenexa Speedway. Those of you who are watching online, always a good shout out to our students who are here. Let's give it up for our students. So if you are a guest of ours today, we're so honored to have you here. Um, if you wanted to know sort of the heart of this church, we put it on a bracelet. We'd love to give you one of those. And it simply uh, goes like this, five symbols. It says, um, basically, we are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus, to raise up Christ-centered families in our city and beyond. I'm going to let the rest of the church finish it up. Bye. Wrapping God's family around your family. We want to do that for you today. But I also want to remind you that we don't just do it when we come into the building. But we are very committed to the city that God has placed us in. And we're very committed to the world that God has placed us in. And you just saw an example of the work that we're doing around the world. In this particular case in South Africa. And through your generosity, we're able to support uh, a number of initiatives. Uh, this is our One Life program where we have the privilege of supporting 697 uh, children to give them hope and a future. And uh, I want to thank you for your generosity. And we're going to keep pressing in until Jesus comes. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. All right. Uh, uh, super excited to tell you that our Global trips are back on again, and uh, you can find out more information about them, particularly if you're watching online, by going to westsidefamily.church slash global impact. Uh, you can also here at Lenexa and Speedway go out into the commons area, and we have a display out there for you uh, where you can kind of see all that we're doing in the city and around the world, and then these uh, wonderful flyers that you can pick up uh, for the trips we have planned for uh, this next year. We've got a border encounter, uh, a Mexico-Texas border. That would be really cool. We've got uh, a, a new trip uh, to Guatemala. Uh, that could be really cool for you to consider. Uh, we got a trip to India, to South Africa, and to Thailand. I mean, that is really pretty cool. And we've added this year a trip uh, to Israel that Roseanne and I are going to be leading. And uh, if you are available April the 22nd through May the 1st, uh, we would love to take you to Israel with a Bible in hand. And when we are on the Sea of Galilee together... Uh, we will be in the place where Jesus walked on water, right? Uh, when we open up to read the Sermon on the Mount and to talk about it, we're going to be on Mount Beatitudes where he actually gave it. Come on, right? Uh, how about uh, going <laughs> into the Garden of Gethsemane for a personal prayer service, right? Or how about celebrating communion together at the Garden Tomb where Jesus rose from the dead? So if you're interested in a trip like that, you can go online or pick up one of these little things, and we'd love to have you uh, join us. You guys ready to dive into the Word? Yep. Come on, give me some more. Are you ready to dive into the Word? Yeah. Woo, I love that. Let's pray for some expectation, and we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your Word. We must now open up our mind, and our hearts, and our hands to you. We need encouragement. We need a challenge. Father, shower your grace and mercy upon us in this moment. In the name of Jesus Christ and by his authority, I pray. And everyone said? So Christine grew up in a little town of Wayne, Oklahoma. Population 491. 
looks like this is the making of a nice, sweet, hometown Americana story, but nothing could be further from the truth. She grew up in a dysfunctional home, but she doesn't really like to talk about it a lot. Her mom called her retarded. That's the word that she used, retarded. And you know what happens is if you hear something enough, well, you begin to believe it and you start acting out on it. Uh, she was teased in school for her appearance, um, and uh, she was an outcast, and she started to mutilate and to cut herself, and she wondered why no one noticed. The first time she ran away from home was the age of 13. She started to dip into drugs and alcohol, I'm pretty sure, to mask the pain. At the age of 15, as her drug use was increasing, she uh, turned her first trick as a prostitute to pay for it. Uh, Christine would live anywhere she could live as a homeless teenager. She would find an abandoned house with a mattress, or she would, in the cold of now Kansas City, she would uh, go into a laundry mat and all night long put in quarters in the dryer to keep herself warm to keep herself warm. Christine became a dancer in a strip club and she says that's where she found acceptance because the men would choose her for how she looked and for her smile. And she said, at last, I was accepted. Um, there was an occasion uh, where uh, this, this occasional drug use that she had turned into a full-on addiction and to pay for her $1,000 a day addiction, uh, she stepped up her prostitution. Uh, she said her street name was Ellie. That name told you what she did, but her name was Christine. That is who she was. She separated the two, but she went on to say that she sought every opportunity to get high because she was not happy with who she was or how she felt. One night, uh, she was uh, in a bar, and she ran into a guy that frequented the bar whose nickname is Peanut. And Peanut said, if my team wins the pool match, he said, we should get married tonight. <laughs> How crazy is that, right? And he won the pool match, and they got married. And for the first three days of their marriage, they were totally wasted and totally high. At the end of the week, she discovers in the newspaper that Peanut is a... Uh, has a warrant for arrest uh, for child molestation. And he goes to prison. Fast forward 20 years, Christine in Kansas City has a, a, a rap sheet, 19 pages long, seven felonies, six trips to the penitentiary. She goes to the attorney to get a divorce from Peanut. The attorney asks for his full name. She has no idea what his full name is, just Peanut. The attorney asked what month they got married. She had no earthly idea. Finally, they, the attorney was able to find Peanut, and he was still in prison. Christine summarized her life by this phrase, my drug was my God, my crack pipe, my pimp, and my pocket yeah, my pocket, my pimp, my crack pipe was my husband. And if that's not bad enough, to top it off, she has a rare eye disease that causes her 
to have both of her eyes removed. Removed. This is a true story of a real person who experienced horrible upbringing, made horrible choices, and experienced a horrible outcome. But the reality is that her story is very common in our city. She hit rock bottom and was utterly hopeless, but she's not the only one. There are others, not only in our city, but around the world. But not only at this time, this has been going on since the beginning of time. As a matter of fact, in the first century, where the New Testament is being written and is unfolding, there were people just like Christine all over the place. But as you read the New Testament, you see that hope was on its way. You see that hope was coming to their city. And that's what I want to talk about today. As you have been challenged to read through the New Testament, this week you were invited to read or listen to the book of Acts. And hopefully you saw some exciting discoveries. Which starts off with the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and he appears before the disciples and he... he, orders, issues, a commission on their life. It's right in the first chapter, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. If you're new to the scriptures, you may not know this, but for those of us who have been in it for a while, this is a pretty cool and important passage of scripture. I want you to read it out loud with me. Ready? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see that the first followers of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit descends upon them, it says, in a blazing fire, in a blazing fire, and the church is born. And as you turn the book of Acts page after page, you see that the church is spreading, starting with the blazing fire of the Holy Spirit in them, is spreading like a wildfire. And that's the new discovery for this week. If you're taking notes, write this down. The church is birthed and spreading like a wildfire. And it's interesting to note that what Jesus charged them to do, these courageous first followers of Jesus actually achieved it. Did you notice that? In their lifetime. It starts in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 6 verse 7. You see the map. The report we get at the end of this section. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It spread like a wildfire. And then we see that because of persecution in Acts chapter 7, that the church is spread to Judea and Samaria, just like Jesus invited them to, starting in Jerusalem, moving to Judea and Samaria, chapter 6 through chapter 9. We get this report at the end of chapter 9. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the fire, it increased in number. Then we see the church spreading, moving north to the coastlands and over to Syria. You can see the spreading of it from Acts chapter 9 through Acts chapter 12. And this is the report we get at the end. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Spread like a wildfire. Then the church spreads northwest to Cyprus and to Galatia. 
Look at that. From chapter 12 through chapter 16, verse 5. And this is the report we received. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. And then like an uncontrollable fire, it spreads into Macedonia, to Achaia, and to Asia. Chapter 16, verse 6 through chapter 19. Look at the map. Wow. And this is the report we get at the end. In this way, the word of God spread like a wildfire widely and grew in power. So now we have the author, Dr. Luke. He wraps up his chronologue with the church spreading like a wildfire into Rome, the capital city of the mighty empire. Chapter 19, verse 21, through the end of the book, chapter 28. And the book comes to the end with this report. He, speaking of Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the risen Savior commissions them to spread the good news from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what we see, if you listened and read through the book of Acts, is by the time we get to Acts 28, they actually achieved it in their lifetime, a mere 29 years. That's what wildfires do. They spread rapidly, led by a group of first followers who weren't even courageous enough to show up to Jesus' crucifixion. And now they are changing the entire world. What's the explanation? It was that blazing fire of the Holy Spirit that came upon them that made the difference. Now, here is the testament in the New Testament challenge. Here is what we are declaring. If you're taking notes, write this down. The church changed the very fabric of every city that they entered. They didn't just come into a town and set up a holy huddle. It wasn't just a group of nice Christians sitting around a folding table drinking sweet tea. But rather, these courageous followers of Jesus were getting out into the streets and they were making a difference. Let me just give you one example. If you skip over to Acts chapter 17, uh, you will recall uh, from your reading or listening that in Acts chapter 9, this guy who was killing Christians and persecuting the church named Saul becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Unlikely character that God is going to use, first by changing his name from Saul to Paul, God's going to call him to bring the good news to the ends of the earth. It was mostly Peter and the early disciples that brought it to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But now to the uttermost parts of the earth, he's using this unlikely character named Paul who experiences this radical transformation to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul and his posse enter into Acts chapter seven. In Acts chapter seventeen, enter into the city of Thessalonica. We're going to put the map up. It is in the modern day city of Greece. Uh, back then, it was called Macedonia. And although this city is made up of predominantly Gentiles, it was Paul's custom to enter into the synagogue first to proclaim the good news to the Jewish people first, and he does. And the report is that many people were persuaded and believed. However, Acts chapter 17, verse 5, we learn, but other Jews were jealous. They were jealous. So what did they do? 
So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. So they formed a mob, they created a riot in the city, and this is what they do. But when they could not find them, that is Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come now, have, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house and they are all defying Caesar's decrees saying there, that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. I particularly want you to focus on verse 6, where these Jewish leaders said, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. I like the way that Philip's translation puts it. We're going to put it on the screen. Say it out loud with me. These are men who have turned the world upside down and have now come here. You don't see this in the English language, but in the Greek it says, these men have turned the world upside down, have now come here, oh crud. (laughs) Because they knew, they knew that as soon as these followers of Jesus entered into the city, their businesses, their evil, their manipulation was gonna be shut down because when the church entered, Things changed. Every fabric of the city changed. They not only changed a person's eternal standing with God, if that weren't enough, but they also unleashed unbelievable amounts of compassion to the marginalized and the hurting. But not only that, but they actually were seeing people's habits and patterns changing. Men were becoming faithful to their wives. Women caught in addictions were becoming free. Depression was lifting. Anxiety was fleeing. The orphan found a home. The elderly widow was given back her dignity and was protected. Angry people were turning into gentle people. Sick people were being cared for. The marginalized were being treated with respect. Fear was being replaced with faith. But they didn't just change the individual's life and behavior. Every aspect of the city was changed. Education, the marketplace, finances, arts, the government, everything. For example, if you'll skip over to Acts chapter 19, Paul and his team enter into the city of Ephesus. And we are told that the pagan temples, sales of idols, dropped dramatically. They put the temple prostitution business out of business. We're told in verse 19 of Acts 19 in Ephesus that those who practice witchcraft, magic, and sorcery, that these people were changed. And they took their scrolls and put them out into the center of the city and burned them. Burned them. These were their secrets of how they did their dark deeds. But their lives were being changed and they burned them. We're told in the text that these scrolls were worth 50,000 drachmas. Like, I don't know what a drachma is, right? If we were to put it in today's term, it would be equivalent to $4 million. 
That is radical change. So Paul moves from Thessalonica uh, over to Berea, and then he goes into the great city of Athens, spreading the good news of Jesus, and then moves 42 miles west to Corinth. And it's there in Corinth that Paul is pondering the believers in Thessalonica, and he knows that things are going to be tough for them because of the persecution. And so he sits down and he writes two letters to them. It's two of the earliest letters that he wrote of the 13 total letters that he wrote to churches and individuals. And you were invited to listen or to read to those two letters this week, First and Second Thessalonians. And it's just filled with all kind of love and tenderness that Paul had for them. But one of the things that he challenged them with, and this is our challenge today, he challenged them to make a clean break from your old life and to step into your new life. Make a clean break. I mean, there, there, there's, there's new believers in Thessalonica that just met Jesus, and, uh, and they've got a lot to learn. And yet, in the midst of that, there's this hostility that's going to continue on and on, and it's going to tempt them to go back to their old way of life. And so Paul pens a challenge for them to let go of your old way of life that was getting you nowhere and lean into, step into this new life that promises more, so much more. And here's the deal. The challenge that Paul issued to the Thessalonians, he's issuing to us in a fresh way today. New Testament challenge. So let me, let me give them to you, new our church is to spread like a wildfire. <laughs> we don't want to be a church hid under the bushel. No. But we want to burn brightly for Jesus in this city and beyond. Amen? Amen. We will do anything short of sin to see lost and hurting people find the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Here's our testament. Here's our declaration. Our church is to change the very fabric of our city. Let me ask you a question. If Westside Family Church were to go away tomorrow, would anybody miss us? I think the answer is yes. One of my pastor friends put it this way. If our church were to go away tomorrow, what new taxes would they have to inflict on people because of our absence? I like that. And in our city, there is so much trouble. There's so much hardship that cannot be solved by politics, that cannot be solved by worldly solutions, but can only be solved by Christ. And we want people to say, who are now executing darkness in our city, to say, these Westsiders have come into our city and are turning things upside down. Oh, crud. Because we're coming. And here's our challenge. Our people need to make a clean break from the old life and to step into the new life. We need to continue daily, daily, daily abandoning the old life that was getting us nowhere. Can I get an amen? It was getting you nowhere and step courageously into the new life that is promising you so much more. So I want to come back to Christine's story. Is that okay? Where is Christine at today? 
the answer? She's here with us today at Westside Family Church. And I want to bring her out to tell you the rest of the story. So put your hands together for Christine McDonald. Well, hey, Christine. Hi, Randy. Good to see you. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for having so, me. Um, Hi, so y'all. <laughs> so uh, after 22 years of homelessness and prostitution and drugs and all of that, uh, something happened to you along the way, right? Yes. Uh, can you tell us what happened? Well, I found me some Jesus, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, actually, I was uh, living in a little house in the neighborhood, um, just a couple of blocks from where um, I spent 17 years um, being bought and sold. Um, and um, a lady came and knocked on my door and invited me to church. Um, and so I went, and I kept going, and I kept going, and I had this really muddy view of, of Jesus. I'd always heard about that guy that was just really mean, <laughs> and he was judging me, and churches never really told me, you know, how to do something different. They tell you to turn from your way when you try to get a, a meal at the soup kitchen, but they didn't tell me, what does that different way look like, right? Yeah. And so you're going to tell me, hey, you better give your life to Christ, or you're going to go to hell, but they didn't <laughs> give me, like, well, what does that look like, right? Uh -huh. They didn't tell me the love story. Of, of the guy that knew all the messiness the world would be for generations. And he died for us anyway. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a beautiful love story. And so you leaned uh, into that I, one. Oh, I did, and I got saved. I said to Jesus, um, I got baptized. And you said when you came out of the water, I mean. Oh, my gosh. Something happened. It did. So um, I come up out of the water, and I'm like, hey, y'all, does that mean I get to join your outreach team now? Yeah. <laughs> so they had this outreach team, and they were going to go out, and they were going to tell everybody about Jesus. And so for months, I just wanted to be a part of that team, but I didn't know how to ask, right? Right. And I finally was like, come out of the baptism water. I'm wiping the, the water from my face. I said, well, can I join the outreach team now? And I go down to the basement to the meeting, and they said, well, you didn't have to be baptized to join us, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you, I want to cover some of the kind oh, of the journey okay. you're on. But before I do, I, oh. I think a big part of your story is um, the decision you had to make yes. as it relates to your eyes. Oh, yes. So I'm blind, y'all. I ain't got no eyes. They've both been medically removed. I went blind in three days. Um, I had a choice. I was pregnant at the time. And I actually had a choice of medication to save my eyesight. Um, but it would have taken the life of my unborn child. And, you know, God created that life. I didn't. Um, I was just fostered the space for the life to grow, right? Yeah. And so I couldn't make that choice. I, um, I gave birth to my child, and, and when he was five weeks old, I had to take him to daycare and go have my eyes medically removed. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so now you, you uh, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty... Yeah, but that was a huge crazy. part of my faith, yeah, right? Part, my well, faith, yeah. because I was kind of mean when I got up off the streets. I mean, I've been arrested 103 times. I've been to prison. Yeah. You yeah. know, I have, have seven felony 103 times? 103 times I've been arrested. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. crazy, right? Yeah, you um, win. I wasn't very nice. <laughs> I hear that all the time. <laughs> you don't beat my record. <laughs> yeah. um, but I wasn't very nice, but... 
You know, I remember as, as, as I was progressing, I remember the first time I really realized something had changed in me. I was talking to somebody, and I said something, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that sure was nice of me. Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that. You're changing. I was changing, a heart transformation. And um, that blind part of me really, really, really became what God used as um, to catapult me into becoming interdependent because when I became blind, um, I was already off the streets. I was already working. I was a taxpayer and I was living in the community, but I was not very nice. Yeah. Charming was not how he would define me. <laughs> and so, but when I lost my sight, I had to become interdependent of those around me just to get to the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, just for the simplest things. And that's how I learned a about faith, right? We believe in something we can't feel a touch, right? And that, yeah. that's what believing God is all about, trusting that he is, even though we have no validation tangible that he is, yeah. right? But that's that's faith, right? And it also taught me about the interdependence, which is what the Bible tells us, um, how the church is supposed to be structured. We are all supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus, um, intricately um, interdependent of one another to perform the acts of real-life application of God on earth. Yeah, so you... Um one of the early uh, things that you started with uh, in terms of the outreach program, kind of now going back into the same corners where you were at is yes. these Brown Bag Fridays. Oh, yeah. In 2007, I started doing Brown Bag Friday. I'll never forget. I tried to join that outreach, right? Well, they were going to go out into this Hispanic community, and they were going to tell the Hispanic community they were speak Spanish and, well, mostly Catholic, about Jesus. But I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> and I said, hey, y'all, anybody going to teach me how to talk Spanish? Because I want to do this, too. I'm just all fired up for Jesus. Yeah. And um, nobody spoke Spanish. And I said, well, I ain't super smart, but I feel like we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, hey, y'all. You know, on Independence Avenue, we got all these girls working the streets. And do you know what they have to do for a meal? Do you know what they have to do for a place to sleep? Yeah. I said, how about we take them some food and just, um, you know, meet them right where they're at? And I'll never forget the pastor. Pastor looked at me and said, well, what would we say to them? <laughs> <laughs> well, like we were going to talk to the people who speak Spanish and none of us spoke Spanish, right? And you're worried about what do you say to the hooker on the corner? Uh, and I said, well, how about we start with, hey, you hungry? <laughs> Let's just start there. <laughs> And I started that um, in 2007 and continued, and it has grown and grown and grown, absolutely. Yeah, there's so many things I would tell you, but one of the things is your mom, your mom uh, uh, was ended up being wrong about you being Aww. not too smart, right? Because you had yeah. to get a, like a little test to figure all that out. I did. Out. When I was learning how to be blind, I wasn't going back to work at McDonald's. Um, I uh, took some, they had to, they told me I was unrehabilitatable. They told me because I've been on the streets, because you know how he talked about in the Bible when people gave their life to Christ, they still had to deal with the world around them, society around them, judging them from their past stuff, right? Well, that's what I dealt with. Yeah. And so the, when I was learning how to be blind, they told me I was unrehabilitatable and that there was nothing that they could do. I was trying to advocate so that I could, like, provide for my kid. And they told me they weren't going to help me. So they took these tests because I kind of gave them some pushback because I was still not completely nice yet. Uh -huh. But I was a little better than I used to be. <laughs> and um, we learned I had an IQ of 136, and I scored the, the highest um, business aptitude score the institution had ever given. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Transferable. And, and <laughs> she's sassy, but she's smart, right? 
Uh, and this is where I found Christine in two uh, amazing books that she's written, one called Cry Purple, which is the first one I read, and then the second one I read is called The Same Kind of Human. And that they, one's my favorite. Yeah, they are page turners, and uh, Christine's going to be out in the commons afterwards to meet her, and uh, you can pick up these books, which will also encourage the ministry she has. But, uh, but I, I, we, need, we, we need to do, cover one more thing, and okay. that is uh, Christine's Place. Oh what my is gosh. that? So Christine's Place is a... Okay, so y'all remember I was doing the Brown Bag Fridays, Now just imagine a blind chick recruiting drivers to drive, Tell me when you see somebody out on that corner and I'll yell out the window, hey, you hungry? Yeah. So I did that for years and years and years. And I'm just telling you, the blind struggle's real. Well, Christine's Place um, is a drop-in center on Independence Avenue, just a couple of blocks where I was bought and sold for 17 years, where we actually um, are seed planners. I'm, I'm in partnership with a group called Relentless Pursuit Outreach and Recovery. Uh -huh. um, and an arm of their uh, ministry is Christine's Place, which is... The girls come to me, and I don't have to go looking for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have a sign-up sheet out there. Um, I, I speak publicly, sell books and stuff, and I'm able to contribute part of my, my funds um, to um, uh, provide services and, and love on these girls right where they're at in, in, in being Jesus' hands and feet and yeah. love in action. A full turn. A absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm moving back to uh, the area uh, in November. And um, I'm still facing some barriers and the judgments because of my felonies. And then, of course, I'm blind. Yeah. So if any of y'all, like, have a job. I got no shame. Yeah. <laughs> any of y'all might have a job opportunity or a thought or, or something, uh, feel free to reach out to me because I would like to find stable employment when I get back. Yeah. I think we could probably figure that out. I like that. Hey, um, before we want to pray over Christine. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I want you to know when you go out into the commons area, you'll see that Christine's place is a place when you've made a contribution, uh, we are supporting this. Aren't you happy about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> to do something, to do something to change the situation of human trafficking in our city. And uh, we've also uh, given some additional monies that you've given uh, to Christine today for Aww. coming to support her personally, as well as Christine's place. And uh, we gave that to her last service. Are you uh, all in favor? Say aye. <laughs> I you, thought you, you would. So uh, let's stand to your feet uh, before we enter into some worship and just extend your hand, whether you're watching online or Speedway or right here. Our students, help me out here. Lead the way. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Christine. And she's a story just like so many of the amazing radical stories we are reading in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Your church, your Holy Spirit, Fire within us is changing lives today, and we are privileged to partner with Christine to reach out to people that we don't speak their language, we don't know what they're struggling with, but she does, and so we send her as a missionary into a place to reach people you deeply love and know by name. And Father, we just thank you for this congregation, for their generosity, and for their tenacity to let the the, the good news of Jesus spread like a wildfire in our city and beyond. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, let's give it up one more time for Christine. There you go.